Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. I mean, again, I'll ask, are you not entertained? Yesterday was amazing. Unless, of course, you are a Cowboy fan, or a Cowboy player, or a Cowboy owner, or a Cowboy head coach, or a Cowboy quarterback. Big, fat mics. Big, fat joke of a squad laid a big, fat egg in primetime last night. And somehow that's not even the worst of it because Cowboy fan, and I know you know this already, but in case you did not, Cowboy fan woke up to the following news from ESPN Cowboys reporter Todd Archer, quote, Dak Prescott is expected to have surgery Monday on a right thumb injury and missed six to eight weeks. According to multiple sources, he will meet with the team's hand specialist on Monday, but sources said he will have a pin and plate inserted to stabilize that joint. End quote. Um, uh-oh! Uh-oh! How about them, Cowboys? How about them, Cowboys? What an utter and complete disaster in Big D. Like, I don't want to overreact to anything that happens in week one, but this is not an overreaction. The quarterback is toast. Oh, my God, the quarterback is toast. Oh, my God, the head coach is toast. Oh, my God, the quarterback is toast. Oh, my God, the Dallas Cowboys are already toast. Oh, my God, the quarterback is toast. Oh, my God, it sounds like even Jera is is aware of all this. Oh, my God, the quarterback is toast. I'm particularly disappointed for our fans. Uh, uh, Dak will be out for a little while, and so uh, uh, we'll be dealing with that as well. So uh, this was a, a really tough night for the Cowboys, but uh, and and a really uh, a surprising night. Oh my God! It was not a surprising oh my God, night. The quarterback is toast. Come on, Jera. Oh my God! The quarterback is toast. I'm sorry, Alvy. I can't get enough of that. So feel free to fire that as many times as you want. I mean, I'm not, it's not Dak thing. I'm not celebrating that Dak already is going to need surgery already. It's just the Dallas Cowboys quarterback is, oh my God, toast. And by the way, Jerry, there's nothing surprising about that. At least not for anybody who has watched your Cowboys for the past two decades. No, it was not a surprising night. It was actually the least surprising night of Cowboy football ever. And it's really going to... F up the schedule. My schedule. Your schedule, my schedule. is really jacked up now. Oh, my, my God, schedule. the schedule is jacked up. Oh, my God. The- my schedule. The glory days have never felt so far away. Glory hole days. Those days, too. The glory hole days. Glory hole the days. schedule. My the quarterback. Schedule. Everything is toast in Dallas. Oh, my God. The quarterback is toast. I mean, this is the same guy who recently said... One plus one is three. So I'm afraid to even ask what the equation is for winning games with Cooper Rush and no offensive line, especially considering the fact that they didn't do anything even when Dak was out there last night. Dak being injured only replaced the headline that Dak was not good. In fact, below not good against the Bucs when he was out there. And on top of that, I really have to say, nice touch having the ginger clapper in the NBC studio looking and moving and smiling like a robot. 
And by nice touch, I mean pretty awful. You know me, normally I am not somebody to weigh in and talk about other broadcasters, but I mean, seriously, their hiring of Jason Garrett is the worst hire since Jarrah hired Garrett. I mean, the whole night was just one giant waking Cowboys nightmare. Nobody had a worse week one than Jarrah and the boys. However, the hood man, he tried, didn't he? He tried. I mean, who could have possibly have known that an offense led by Matt the Pencil Patricia and Joe Judge would look like dog crap? Well, besides me and pretty much everybody else with a functioning brain cell still left. Matt Patricia allegedly was calling the plays yesterday. And I say allegedly because it didn't look like anybody was calling plays yesterday. It barely looked like the Patriots offense was running any plays yesterday. Unless the pencil is intentionally scheming up gems like this. Back to throw. Blitz coming. They got him. The ball's out. Touchdown Miami. Ingram. Picked it up on the bounce then and he got blindsided. into the end zone. He never saw it on the blind side. Dolphins were bringing the heat. Joe, I think it was Brandon Jones on the blitz, right? Yeah, it was Brandon, Brandon Jones. Jones outside. Nobody touches him. Not at all. And the ball bounced perfectly oh, for Ingram. That's right. It was. Here's a quick Dolphins radio. Thank you for that. Quick tip for anybody. Quick tip for whoever the hell is actually in charge of this offense, if anybody is or whoever is, maybe, maybe feel free to let everybody know that untouched blitzers on the quarterback's blind side are not a good thing. Let me repeat that. Untouched blitzers on the quarterback's blind side are not a good thing. To quote Matt in L.A., you're welcome. You're welcome. Frankly, though, the defense was not much better, right? Here are the Patriots getting torched by Tua and Jalen Waddle while also running into each other in the middle of the field. Wow. They're going for it. Tua. Oh, Why not? He's got oh first down and a touchdown from Waddle. What a gutsy <laughs> call. Jalen Waddle. We got the Penguin in the end zone, too, boy. Is that nice to see? What a call. And what a throw by Tua. Jimmy, I've surprised everybody else. They go for it, and Tua makes a perfect throw, and Jalen Waddle does the rest. What's so surprising about that? Despite whatever issue Tua has had so far, the Patriots are not one of them. He owns the hood. He's 4-0 against the hood. You know that whole thing about how Bill Belichick makes really young quarterbacks look really bad? And that other whole thing about how Bill Belichick makes really good quarterbacks look really bad? Not Tua. Tua's making a really good coach look really bad. He's 4-0 to start his career against the hood, man. That's got to be one of the greatest stats ever. But that's still not the headline from this game. The headline from this game is Mike freaking McDaniel, who beat the GOAT in his head coaching debut. And if you want to come in here, Patriot fan, and say it's not him against him, it's team against team, whatever. Whatever works for you. McDaniel turned that GOAT inside out. And then he told his team he didn't do bleep when the team tried to flip him the game ball. On behalf of Stephen Ross... Tom Garfinkel, the entire Miami Dolphin organization. Congrats on your first win as a head coach. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't do 
how do you not love this dude? Like, already, that right there is a better quote than we've ever gotten from Belichick in 30 years. They try to give this guy the game ball. He's all hyped. They're all hyped on him. He's like, I didn't do bleep. So I didn't do that, that already is a better quote in the history of Bill Belichick's life. How do you not love this dude? How do you not love the vibe in Miami right now? Essentially, the only thing that went wrong in South Florida yesterday was that entire row of cars that got burnt up in the Hard Rock Stadium parking lot. I mean, that was a terrible, terrible tailgate disaster. I can't imagine what it would be like to come out of the game and you're all hyped up like, we did it, we did it only to find out your car looked like somebody just hit it with an IED. But I'll say this. Typically, it's the Dolphins who are a raging tire fire on the field. The parking lot is an upgrade. But, man, things are looking up in Miami. Thanks to Mike McD, the most unique head coach in the NFL, who entered yesterday with 290 fewer NFL wins than the hood man and yet somehow managed to turn that guy inside out. That's not just me now. That's not just me saying that. Nobody put it better than this guy who is, I know, he has been prone to hyperbole and embellishing things of late. But what about Tyreek Hill? Listen to what Hill had to say after the game. Man, like, hey, man, McDaniels, he's going to need a wheelbarrow, man, for his nuts to carry around, man, because he got a lot of football on this, you know what I'm saying? So, does he call by him? I want to make sure you heard what that guy just said. Now, why does he need... A wheelbarrow, Tyreek? Man, like, hey, man, McDaniels, he's going to need a wheelbarrow, man, for his nuts to carry around, man, because he got a lot of football on this, you know what I'm saying? So, does he call by him? Just, cause you, or just in case you missed that, what he said was, he's going to need a wheelbarrow to carry his nuts around. He's going to need a wheelbarrow, man, for his nuts to carry around, man, because he got a lot of... How much do they love this guy already? And why not? I've been hyping this guy for weeks, saying this guy is so cool and so different. Smart as hell, obviously. But the way he is relating to these guys, incredible. Like, he'll spent the entire offseason hyping his quarterback, and now he has moved on to his head coach. And he's not wrong, even if the imagery is a little bit over the top. Except Mike McDee was not the only first-time head coach who showed off an enormous brass set. And by the way, if you noticed, I probably should have said this off the top, but this is our first NFL whip around of the season. I do this every single Monday, just trying to get to as many things as I can at the very top and talk about what I saw over the weekend. So Mike McDee is not the only one who may need a wheelbarrow to carry his brass set around. Check out freaking Brian Dable. Check him out. Check out the freaking G-Men rolling into Nashville and going for the dub. The Giants. Yes, the football Giants. Knocked off last year's top seed in the AFC with one of the single gutsiest end-of-the-game calls ever. Giants going for two. Jones takes the snap, rolls right, shovel pass for Barkley. Barkley in for the two-point conversion. Oh, a little shovel pass to Saquon, and then he did the rest, taking on defenders, and the Giants have the lead 21-20 with 106 to go. That's playing the win there, Bob. Giants radio. I mean, go ahead and get this dude a wheelbarrow as well because Dable basically worked a miracle yesterday. 
Miracle being, I am hyping the Giants right now in the Week 1 Open. Now, believe me, they've made it into the Jungle Week 1 Open, but for all the wrong reasons in recent years. They made it in because I'm hyping them. He didn't just beat the Titans with Danny Turnovers. He got right in turnovers face after turnovers when vintage Danny turnovers with one of the ugliest end zone picks ever. In other words, Dable did exactly what every single Giants fan has wanted to do every single week since they drafted this guy. But the biggest win of all for Dable was finally getting Saquon Barkley rolling again. Saquon absolutely balled out like a beast 194 total yards and a TD and the game-winning two-point conversion and his longest run in three years. And my man was going downhill. Second straight start for the Giants inside the 10. And on first down, Saquon Barkley to the sideline. Barkley tiptoeing down the sideline. And here comes the speed. Barkley shoved out of bounds near the 20 by Kevin Byard. Speaking of Kevin Byard, remember I had him on last week. And I said, Kevin, remember back in 2018 when you guys faced this guy for the first time and you committed so much energy to getting ready for Saquon, how does he look to you right now? Does he look like he did back then? And Byron said, yeah, we are getting ready for him. We know he's coming with something. And he did. And he did. You know, all that conversation back in the day about why would you use the second pick overall on a running back? And it was a fair conversation, right? Well, that guy had the look of somebody that you use a high draft pick on. And yes, the Titans still had a chance to win that game anyway. Randy Bullock probably should have hit from 47 yards out with the game on the line. However, I think the reason he didn't, he was distracted by that dude wheeling around his giant brass set on the giant sideline, a.k.a. the miracle worker, who just got the G-men to 1-0 for the first time in years. Years. That was solid, man. That was brass. So I've got kind of a personal question for you fellas. Do you feel like your antiperspirant keeps you dry all day? Dove Men Plus Care Dry Spray has an instantly drying antiperspirant formula that can help give you a cleaner feel and offers 48-hour sweat and odor protection. Big number, right? 48 hours. Dove Men Dry Spray feels light and clean on your skin, and it's quick, and it's easy to use, especially when you're on the move. On top of that, Dove Men Dry Spray contains Dove's unique one-quarter moisturizing cream that helps to protect your skin. Thus, it leaves your skin feeling comfortable, and it helps to protect your skin. What I'm saying to you is this is a great product that does a lot of things really well. So make sure you try Dove Men Dry Spray. Goes on dry, clean feel, all day. He is Will Brinson. Will, what's going on? How are you? Jim, what's going on, man? Happy, uh, happy first NFL Monday. Feels good to have it back. Dude, I was just going to ask you, how good does it feel to have the NFL season back? But before we do that, what, can you weigh in on that? Do you think that that person just sent me an email or a tweet, Will, saying, hey, man, Scott Frost knew he was going to get whacked. He knew it. Why not get whacked right now and get the full 15 mil rather than waiting until October 1st and then getting a buyout for half the amount? Do you think, just your own opinion on the outside looking in, do you think a guy like that would do something like that or have a mindset like that? I would like to think no, but that's an interesting take. I mean, certainly, you know, if you know, I mean, he knew he was getting, you know, like you said, he knew it was over. Um, he, you know, he, he was not going to last a season 
I mean, I had heard stuff that like he took it like I mean the, the trip to Ireland like the night before like he anyway like yeah I mean he he knew he knew he knew the, the Piper was coming to to make him pay and I I do think that it's I mean at least I would I mean I would like to think he wouldn't tank to get seven and a half million dollars but I there's a lot of stuff I do for seven and a half million dollars and losing a football game is probably like on the list of them. <laughs> well, Brinson joining us. All right, I appreciate that. Listen, so you're doing pretty well right now. Week one is in the bank already. The same cannot be said about Dallas. Could that game, Will, or that night have gone any worse for the Cowboys than it did? Uh, no, no chance. I mean, the only way it goes – like, I mean, it was, it was already a situation, Jim, where we saw very serious cracks in the Cowboys roster, notably on the offensive line with their ability to, you know, to protect Dak Prescott. Uh, because of injuries and just because the, you know, the front office has been stubborn about bringing in other players. And then at wide receiver, you know, it, it felt a lot like the Rams on opening night where, man, it's like, man, they really needed something else. You know, they really needed another guy there to make something happen you know, outside of Cooper Cup or outside of CeeDee Lamb. And then with the offensive line, it's like, all right, that little bit of attrition that you dealt with is suddenly coming back to bite you against a really good defensive team. And then, you know, you got Mike McCarthy, whose play calling looked extremely vanilla, you know, this is a team that you know couldn't couldn't you know couldn't move the ball at all. It didn't have anything creative going with its offense. Uh, it's very dedicated to running Zeke Elliott, which is, you know, that's coming from on high. Jarrah has, has said, you know, this team goes, this team goes, this league goes. You know, like I mean, we got to do it. And like and so, you know, Mike McCarthy has to do what his boss wants because that's how that that Cowboys team rolls. And you know, on top of that, then you have the Dak Prescott injury, which you know, Jerry said several weeks. Is how long he'll miss. I mean, you talk about that injury, Jim, and it's like above the like above the joint, behind the thumb, behind the joint, above the thumb. Like it sounds like something that's a little more intrusive, a little more lengthy of an injury. And I think that's sort of starting to filter out that it might be a while before Dak gets back. And if that's the case, this team, you know, barring some trade or some, you know, Cooper Cooper Rush like accidentally dipping himself in in some sort of like superpower. Uh, superpower, like falling in some vat of superpower acid, like you know, like the Joker or something. I mean, this is not going to be a team that wins a ton of games. No, definitely not. Will Brinson is joining us. You mentioned two things I was going to ask you about. I mean, look, no surgery is a good thing. Dak's down. So I was going to say to you, who is the next man up? Do you ride with Cooper Rush or do you try to bring somebody else in? And then what would their options be? What do you think they should do? I, I mean, I think it's tough because you could go tri- see. I mean, the three guys that come to mind immediately are Jimmy Garoppolo, Mason Rudolph, and um, and uh, Gardner Minshew. The Eagles aren't going to trade you Gardner Minshew because you're in the division. They want to see you suffer. They're happy with the Cowboys losing. Um, the you know Mason Rudolph, you could try to go get. I mean, I'm just not sure it's a massive upgrade. Like the, the, the type that's going to keep this season afloat by bringing him on and just hoping that works. And then. Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, Trey Lance didn't exactly, and granted the, the weather was a concern, but Trey Lance wasn't exactly awesome on Sunday. I, I have an inkling that Kyle Shanahan might, um, might be more inclined to, to hold on to Jimmy G for just a little bit longer, just to see if he, he, he's a, if he, if break glass in case of emergency is needed. And so in that, in that case, like if you're the Cowboys, you have to really overpay to get somebody at, at this point, you almost wish it was like, you almost wish it was like week eight when this happened. So you could say, okay, you know, we're three and, or three and five, or four and four, or whatever it is. Or you know, one and seven. Pack it in. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, one and seven. Yeah, exactly. I mean, let's just pack it in, and, and, and we'll let Cooper Rush try to do what he does, and we'll get a high draft pick, and we'll try and roll it back next year. I mean, it's week one is so early to call the dogs off. I, I, you think you have to do something, but then you also have to be realistic about what, what, what you have in front of you in terms of your team. 
Talking to Will Brinson, and Will, you mentioned Trey Lance. I agree with you. He did not look that great. Made a couple of plays. Did not look that great. You know, let's keep in mind, it's only his third start, and the elements were not good. The conditions were pretty horrible. But if you see yourself as a legitimate Super Bowl contender, and that's a great, great roster, you really can't be losing to Chicago. What do you make of what you saw from Lance, and what do you think Kyle Shanahan is thinking right about now? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's the thing. is This is a um, absolutely a team that, you know, does consider itself a, a a Super Bowl you know a Super Bowl caliber roster and absolutely believes that it can make a deep you know make a deep run and that Trey Lance can give them the upside where they can go win a Super Bowl. At the same time, you know I, I think 49ers fans have to be realistic about the fact that you know this while while all those things are true, um, you know this is this is you know and, and this is a team that can that can win there are going to be ups and downs with with, with Trey Lance and, and uh, in this you know in this system and that's just the reality of it so uh, to me it, it is a it is a situation where you have to be patient with Trey Lance you do have to recognize the elements and you do have to know that coming up you got some tough games but there's also a stretch I think they're like at at Panthers at Falcons um, shortly you know they got to play the Rams but you know just get to where you're above 500 Kind of stay, you know, be, be, be patient with Trey Lance. They're going to have to be patient with Trey Lance. That's just the bottom line. They can't trade three first-round picks, go get this guy, and then, you know, pull, pull the ripcord four games into his tenure as, as the starter because they, they weren't able to trade Jimmy G in the offseason. Right. Clones, what do we want when we're craving protein or we need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. No, we want beef, pure and simple. So where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your father's jerky, shriveled, dry, and tasteless. Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. So it's tender and it's tasty. It's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for their relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein, and it comes in four amazing flavors that satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest that goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. That way you can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Will Brinson joining us. Will, what about the Patriots? To me, they were as crappy as advertised, if not worse. Now we have to wait and see the extent of Mac Jones' back injury. Look, nobody's going to panic after only one week, but should Patriots fans panic after only one week? Yeah, I mean, yes. Like, the the offense... I mean, if this were if this were a normal Patriots team with Josh McDaniels as the OC, and they was like, all right, they're just trying to figure it out. Maybe Miami's good, and it's really hot down there, and they just can't win in Miami for whatever reason. Um, that's one thing. They got Matt Patricia and Joe Judge running their offense. I mean, it just doesn't like, go find a mirror, look at yourself in the face, and say like, and say it out loud, Belichick. Like, <laughs> does it pass the test? Like, you have to keep a straight face while saying, "I'm going to, I'm going to win a Super Bowl with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge running my offense." Like, that's not going to work. Everyone knew that. Everyone said it before. Um, the offensive line is, you know, is is, is an okay uh, relative to normal Patriots teams. Mac Jones looked uh, looked like he was pressing and uncomfortable early in that game. He threw a you know threw a pick where. Nice defensive play, good tip ball, but you know definitely an underthrown pass. And you, you put it on Mac. You know there were plenty of of concerns about Mac Jones. Then you added the back injury. I, you know 
this is there's no reason for me to believe that this Patriots team is you know can be anywhere close to competing for the division title against the Bills. Maybe a playoff team if if they get hot, but it feels like they're a sort of. I mean, they just want to drag you into the mud and, and prevent you from scoring. Now, in, in Belichick's defense, two of the plays, one was a, a, a sack fumble uh, touchdown, you know, by the defense, and then another was that touchdown to Jalen Waddle from two of fourth and seven with like thirty seconds left in the in the first half, which is so unBelichick like to allow that score, allow that um, allow that kind of score. So. You know, if you take those two away, it's like seven to six Patriots. But that doesn't give me a whole lot more confidence either, Jim. No, well, I agree with you. I I have major concerns about that offensive line. They don't really have that go-to wide receiver top. You know, WR one. I, I I don't know. I, I don't think that was one bad day. I think they're just not good at all right now. What about the Packers? Will like they get hammered in Week One last year? Yes, they put that behind them. Yes, they went on. They had a big season, but that was when they had Devontae Adams. He's no longer there, and Minnesota punched them in the face yesterday repeatedly. So let me ask you the same thing about them. Is that just one bad day, or is there a legitimate cause for concern with Green Bay? There's definitely more cause for concern than there was last year. Although we, we everyone's freaking out last year too. It's like, oh, oh, oh the MVP took the, oh, it's maybe you know, I think it was like a vaccination talk too, maybe, and or maybe that's when the immunization talk started. I can't remember, but um, yeah, I mean, I think the lack of Devonte it, it changes how your your panic level because if you go back and you know, I look, went back and looked at that Bears game from last year, the, the week two where they just, oh, excuse me, the Lions game where they pummeled the Lions in the in the in the home opener at Lambeau Field. Adams had like nine catches for 124 yards, and there's just not anybody on this roster right now who's going to produce that kind of, you know, that kind of outing. I mean, AJ Dillon, who I mean, and this is not an AJ Dillon thing; it's more of a Boston College thing. But I think he had 24 passes caught in college in like three or four years. He had, he was their leading receiver for the Packers yesterday. That's <laughs> that's not where you want to be if you're if you're the Green Bay Packers. Um, so I think that that is I think that is concerning for sure. When you when you look at what they want to do now, I do I did like the fact that they had Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon out on the field at the same time. I think that gives them a lot more versatility in what they want to do. And, and Aaron Jones probably a better pass catcher than a lot of those wide receivers. I, some, one of these young guys has to emerge. I mean, that's the bottom line. You know, Christian Watson needs to make that catch on the first deep shot. That should be a touchdown. Um, you know, it, 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 it seven seven that game has changed dramatically in terms of just sort of how you know, how both teams probably feel about it. I think we can get like three or four weeks removed from this, though, Jim. And we say, man, Green Bay's defense is really good. The offense is a little bit of a work in progress, but it's kind of getting there. And Minnesota is just a very good team. I, th- I think that is a possible outcome that we may be ignoring because the the you know, we're like, oh, the Packers' offense is trash. It may turn out the Vikings' defense is actually pretty good, and maybe Kevin O'Connell is just a is, is just some mastermind who's like is the reason the Rams stink and the Vikings are good, which would be a wild plot twist. Will Brinson, my guest, you're right. We're not giving the Vikings nearly enough credit. They're good. They're really good. I think, especially at home, Justin Jefferson looks unbelievable. Watson, we know that Aaron does not have a lot of patience for young receivers making. Mistakes. Mistakes. Can you imagine being that guy and coming back to the sideline after dropping that sure touchdown pass? Well, one last thought, Russell Wilson. I would have kept running. I would have kept running to like to Alaska. To like just yeah, right. Running. Right. Just keep going. So, what about tonight's game? Russell Wilson makes his Bronco debut tonight in Seattle against his former team, DraftKings. Right now, or at least the last check, had Broncos minus seven. How are you playing this game tonight? I mean, I'm, an, I'm, an, I'm probably an idiot, but I, don't, I like the Seahawks in this game. I kind of think they, they find a way to win the game. I know, it's Pete, I know it's Russell Wilson's revenge game, and the Broncos on paper should come into Seattle and obliterate 
the, the Seahawks. But you know, the one thing that we sort of saw yesterday, I thought, and that, that maybe works in, in the favor of my argument here, is that we had, you know, we had this all these teams start so slowly, Jim. Like I think first half unders were like, I, I, they, they, they were fifteen and over, but they were, they, you know, they went, they went. They, the first half unders did very well yesterday because teams just weren't coming out of the gates hot. Everyone looked a little rusty. You saw it with like the Ravens. Um, you saw it with a ton of, uh, you know. We, we, we see that with a ton of different teams yesterday. And so I think it's possible the Broncos, particularly with a new quarterback, you know, new, you know, working with new weapons, with a new coach, first-time coach, new offense, all of that, they could start a little slow. But if they do that, I think that you could see Seattle given – I think Pete Carroll – this offseason you asked me, what are the Seahawks doing? And I didn't have an answer for you. And I think I figured it out. I think Pete Carroll wants this to be the 2010-2011 Seahawks. He wants it to be ugly, muddled games, drag other opponents into the mud with them, run the ball, play some good defense, and just he doesn't care if it's six to three. Like so, so I think I love the under in this game, particularly the first half under. And I think the Seahawks at plus seven keep it close at home and maybe find a way to, to steal in the ultimate revenge game against Russell Wilson. I'll tell you what, I do not disagree with that at all. I think there's something to that. I think one, it is the ultimate revenge game. Number two, Russ did not play a single play in the preseason. I'm not saying necessarily that he needs it, except that he's in a new situation. So maybe he did need it. it if they were to drag this thing down into the mud, I agree. I think that could happen. Will Brinson joining us on the first Monday after the first week of the NFL season, a senior NFL writer for CBS Sports, host of the Pick 6 NFL podcast, and putting in the time. Will, thank you very much. Great to have you, my man. Appreciate it. All right, pleasure. Talk to you soon, man. We could talk about how complicated other banks make it to redeem credit card rewards, like how they require minimums, and worse, how their rewards flat out expire or we could talk about how with discover you can redeem your rewards for cash in any amount at any time i mean you want to talk about amazing and now that we've talked about that let's get back to something else amazing the thing that we do around here normally learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards terms to apply you know again the timing of the scott frost firing i understand that college football is an enormous business but seven and a half mil is seven and a half mil. And the fact that they couldn't wait seven and a half more days or 15 more days or seven and a half more minutes, that it was that bad. The Trev Albert said, we, we can't go even one more hour like this after that. Because again, if they get to October 1st, the buyout goes down seven and a half million dollars. As it stands right now, Frost walks out of there with that full buyout. That's how bad that was. Again, it was Georgia Southern, and they were favored by three touchdowns. That should tell you something in and of itself, right? The fact that they're only favored by three touchdowns over Georgia Southern. That's how bad things have gotten with Nebraska. Now, if Nebraska were anywhere near what Nebraska used to be, they would have been six touchdown favorites. They were only favored by three touchdowns, and they still got beat in their own house. So, again, it's not my money, but that's how bad that was. They couldn't even gut it out. Because, again, if that's what Georgia Southern does to you, what is Oklahoma going to do to you? And then where do you go from here? Husker fan, call. I want to know how you feel right now. And, again, I'm not looking to pile on. I just do this because I feel you. I'll never forget when we added Omaha, Nebraska as an affiliate to this program back in the day. And keep in mind, I'm going to be that guy who's always looking forward, always forward, never back. But understand that when we affiliated this show in the early 90s, 
The world was not wired the way it is right now. There was not social media. There was no internet. There was no way to connect people. And I remember for the first time getting phone calls from Nebraska fan. And it shouldn't have surprised me, and it didn't. But their knowledge and their passion for that program was unbelievable. I'll never forget stepping foot in Nebraska for the first time. And again, at that point, 1994 maybe, we had not taken the show out of state that often because we were just starting then to syndicate it. And I remember thinking, one, I've never seen such passionate college football fans in my life. Two, I've never seen such knowledgeable college football fans in my life. And three, these are like the nicest people I've ever met in my life. So I love Nebraska. So when I say to you, get up in here and talk to me, I feel your pain. I really do. I mean, I knew that it I tweeted this. I knew it could never be the way it once was in Nebraska, but in a million years, I could never have seen the disaster that was the result of that hiring of Scott Frost. Yet, here we are. Here the bleep we are. Here we are. And now what? Now where are we going to go? Keep moving on the phones. I've got Will Brinson coming up at the top of the hour. We go to Omaha, you know, in market, on topic. Brian in Omaha, Nebraska. Hey, Brian, what's up? How are you? Hi, man. First time clone, and uh, it's a privilege to talk to you, sir. Nice to talk to you. What's going on? Hey, I I think it was a mistake. Uh, Tom Osborne was horrible for his first 10 years. And the farm before the Oklahoma game, he could have waited till the end of the season. I mean, he could have, Brian. He could have, or they could have fired him at the end of last season. You Listen, there's nothing good about this, but I would disagree with you, and I appreciate the phone call. It's good to get some new voices in here. They couldn't have waited. They could not have waited until the end of the season, and they could not have waited to the buyout date. You can't wait if you lose to Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern. Can I repeat that? Georgia Southern came into your house and beat you. And not just beat you, but put up 642 yards on you. He had to fire him. There was no way they could have gone another week, another day, another hour. That simply cannot happen. So I don't think the timing's off. I mean, again, this is how bad that got. He had already taken a haircut on his salary. He was down a million bucks a year, Frost. He'd already agreed to alter his buyout, so it got cut in half on October 1st. You don't think Trev Alberts wanted to wait a few more weeks? He had to have been thinking, all right, I know we're going to get rolled up by Oklahoma, but we just got to get through Georgia Southern, buy ourselves another week, get a little momentum, somehow, some way, get to October 1st, and then we can do the guy. And they couldn't even do that. And again, remember how the season started. I mean, there are worse things than losing to Northwestern with a big lead. Well, there's losing to Northwestern with a big lead with the dumbest decision ever on an onside kick, and then chasing that by losing to Georgia Southern at home. This guy literally is walking off with $15 million in his pocket. He and Ed Orgeron are partying so hard somewhere. Like, yo, brother, just let me know when and show me the door. So I've got kind of a personal question for you fellas. Do you feel like your antiperspirant keeps you dry all day? 
Dove Men Plus Care Dry Spray has an instantly drying antiperspirant formula that can help give you a cleaner feel and offers 48-hour sweat and odor protection. Big number, right? 48 hours. Dove Men Dry Spray feels light and clean on your skin, and it's quick, and it's easy to use, especially when you're on the move. On top of that, Dove Men Dry Spray contains Dove's unique one-quarter moisturizing cream that helps to protect your skin. Thus, it leaves your skin feeling comfortable, and it helps to protect your skin. What I'm saying to you is this is a great product that does a lot of things really well. So make sure you try Dove Men Dry Spray. Goes on dry, clean feel, all day. Christian Benford is my guest. Christian, really nice to have you on the show. How are you? Good, I'm good. How you doing? Good, dude, good. Listen, so I'm curious about that first week. Sean McDermott, the head coach of the Bills, did not say publicly who was going to start in your spot. So I'm curious, when did you first find out, and then what went through your mind knowing that you were going to make your first start against the defending world champs on a big stage? I didn't really find out until, like, the night, two nights before the, the game. So, and my, what went through my mind was uh, I wasn't really thinking. I was just ready to go. I was blessed and happy to be able to start this that week. And I was staying in the Lord, and I was just ready to, to go ball out as much as I can. Christian Benford joining us. That's exactly what happened, too. I'm curious, as you get ready, like, you've been putting in the time, you've been doing the work, so when you get that opportunity, as you point out, you were ready for it. I am curious, what's it like to share a DB room with the likes of Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde? And then maybe what kind of things were they telling you in preparation for that big start? It's honestly a blessing. It's crazy because um, they teach you so much about football and your mental that like a lot of people want to teach you or you would know about. And it's great when we watch film, they point out stuff that I would see, but a lot of stuff that they point out, they go more in detail about it. And it's like a great experience to really learn from, especially my, my, my first year coming in and seeing like stuff about the league and certain things I should see and what I should be reading. And they give me like all like the details how to, how to adjust, what to point out, and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool and great to have them in the, in the room with me. Christian Benford joining us. I would imagine you have vets like that. You can watch those guys, how they work, how they prepare, what they see. You mentioned the film. So I'm curious, you've had a chance to watch the game tape. What were your biggest takeaways, and how do you think you did in your first start? I feel like I, I did good. I just feel like I could have done some things better. Could have done some of uh, my technique a little bit better. Some things that I've been working on at the beginning of the season, I could like tune up a little bit. Um, overall, it was it was we won, so we got the job done. We uh, held them to to a certain amount of yardage, but when it comes to my game, I feel like I did good, but I feel like I could have done better. You know what? I was going to go there next. You did hold them to a certain amount of yardage. Like Cooper Cup got his. You know, but no other Rams receiver had more than 39 yards receiving Thursday. So, what did you guys do to neutralize their high octane offense and to make it so tough on them? We just played our game. We just focused on our technique and fundamentals, um, the scheme and the game plan going again going in that week. We just focused on that. We're really focused on our own 
game plan like within ourselves, focus on our technique and fundamentals at the line, tackling, reading our keys, stuff like that to make sure we handle our business. Focusing on your game, that's one thing. Let me ask you about that. In fact, Matthew Stafford said something I thought, Christian, that was really interesting. He said your D coordinator, Leslie Frazier, threw some looks at him that he had not seen in years. You know, Matthew Stafford has seen pretty much everything. I'm curious, as a young player, is that a challenging defense for you to pick up? And is it a scheme that fits what you do best? What's it like to play under Leslie Frazier? He has a great scheme. Uh, I love playing what he do, uh, what he does. It was kind of similar to how we played back at Villanova, so just kind of like a great fit for me. Um, how we do our how we play our defense at Nova was kind of exactly, almost almost exactly how we played the Bills. So it felt like a great fit, and like just learning from uh, Coach Frazier and how much he try to get us to do certain things and technique and be a ball player. And it's like, I mean, it's great, it's great to have him as my coach. Christian Bedford's my guest for talking Buffalo Bills football. I'm glad you mentioned Nova. I was going to ask you about playing college ball at Villanova. You know, you could argue, and probably true, when you think about Villanova, it's a great, great basketball school. But since Nova has started to send more guys to the NFL, including you, should we be talking and thinking about Villanova more as a football school as well? After all, Howie Long did go to Villanova, and things ended up pretty well for him. Yeah, I think I think Villanova really underestimated on the football spectrum because we do produce a lot of great players. NFL, CFL, wherever they go, we do produce a lot of great student athletes. But, you know, our our basketball team do get all the recognition, but I just feel like we do have a lot of uh, talent in football as well and other sports too, but only basketball team get the recognition. Christian, before you go, let me ask you something. Your your situation is really interesting in the sense that you got that start and you found out, you know, not long before the game, and then you rotated with another rookie in Kyer Elam, and the two of you guys have been going against each other at the start or since the start of minicamp. You're obviously trying to compete. You're trying to get that job. It's kind of rare in and of itself for a pair of rookies to have the opportunity to contribute so early at an important position. I'm curious, what's the dynamic like between the two of you? Like, you want that job, but you don't want to mess with team culture either. So how do you approach that competition with him? Uh, me and him just, we're, we're bros at the end of the day. And we know it's a business, and we gotta do what we gotta do. But we we don't never take it personal. So we just we work hard as hard as possible. We do what we can do when uh, when nobody's looking when behind closed doors, watching film, for, like stretching, making sure our bodies are right, so we could be at optimal performance. And whatever happens, happens. And but we never take it to. Uh, on our, pers- our personal level because at the, end of the day, at the end of the day, we are bros. So we never hate on each other. We never try to sabotage each other, nothing like that. We root for each other. We try to help each other get better. And however the outcome comes, we're there for each other, you know. I like that, dude. I like that a lot. Christian Benford's my guest. Before you go, so you're going to play your first regular season game at home. 
Monday night against the Titans. I know you already know what it's like about the Bills Mafia and how much they love that team and how passionate they are. I'm curious, what was it like when you came out here to Southern California and you could look around and feel the Mafia? The Mafia represented big out here in Cali. What was it like to see that many Bills fans supporting you out here? It was pretty crazy. It was pretty awesome that they had made that trip or even if they live out there and they're still rooting for for Buffalo all the way from the West Coast. It's pretty awesome to even have that big of a fan base all around the nation. Mafia's the best. One last thought. Have you ever seen a QB with the amount of dog in him than Josh Allen? And then how much does the defense feed off seeing this dude do what he does? I mean, Josh Allen is a, is a, is a dog, like you just said. And it's, it's honestly awesome watching him play and the plays that he make and how he continues continues on the play or the series is awesome. It's awesome watching him play. And it's awesome being on his team, too. You got Buffalo 1-0. They're coming off that big win over the Rams. Christian Benford is a rookie. He got that start. He had a big game. And then Buffalo's going to turn around and come right back on Monday night against Tennessee. Christian, nice to have you on the show. Appreciate you making time for us. Have a great week, and I know we'll do it again soon. Yeah, thank you for having me. I, don't want, I want to be careful how I say this, but my point to them has always been, I will always, always help you as long as you help yourself, but you got to show me something, all right? I'm not doing the work for you. The work's not going to do itself, and I'm not doing the work for you, but I love you deeply, and I will always help you as long as you help yourself, but I'm not going to live vicariously through you. I don't need to. My life worked out pretty well. I have to admit, for the first time in a long time, if ever, I had a little envy yesterday because Rogues, a.k.a. Rogan Loam, thanks to Jeff and Richmond butchering his name famously, he is now forever known as Rogan Loam. Rogan Loam. So Logan Rome gets an invite, like, like many young players. It's just an invite to a prospect camp. But it's the famous UC Santa Barbara Gaucho prospect camp. And the Gauchos have an amazing baseball program. And they've had a number of major leaguers come through that program. And they've got who I think is one of the great, great coaches and baseball minds in the nation in Andrew Checkets, who you've heard on this show. And Checks to me, like, I couldn't respect him any more than I do. Love the man. So you can imagine me sending our son to that stadium, a stadium where I used to broadcast when I went to college, a stadium that before I was broadcasting, I used to go and watch the games as a student. I mean, that stadium means the world to me. And I send my high school age son there to pitch in front of that coach and that staff as part of their prospect camp. Now, that's not to say that Logues is a gaucho prospect, but it's a prospect camp. And you go up there and you do what the kids do. And so he took the bump. And I've got a a video of this posted on Instagram. And a lot of you clones, I appreciate it. Showing some respect and saying things like, scrumptious. If I'd been there, I would have been like, scrumptious. Why weren't you there, bad dad? It was hard. It was a really hard call. It was week one of the NFL season. And I'm in a period right now where, you know, we're, we're all in. Grinding it out. Podcasts daily show, lots of other things off the air that you would never know about or you wouldn't see about. You know, there are tough decisions that have to be made. So as much as I wanted to be there, 
the the trip to Santa Barbara and back on week one of the NFL season just was not feasible for me. It was a, it was a hard choice. We make hard decisions, right? So Dodger Jano, who acts as Logue's agent and everything else, went up there and they made the trip. And they got a tour of the campus. They saw IV. One more. And, and Gaucho alumni, a number of you Gaucho alumnus are in on the post. An amazing thing happened also. An amazing thing happened. So really quickly, and this is really inside baseball, except it's got nothing to do with baseball at all. But if you're a Gaucho, you'll understand this. And the rest of you, well, what can I say? I'm in the Hall of Fame. I can do whatever the hell I want on my show. Really quickly, there's a famous famous sandwich shop called Sam's to go owned by a famous, famous entrepreneur, Merdad. Merdad was there when I was a student. I graduated in 86. Sam's to go became an establishment in 84. Dodger Jano and you baseball parents know this in double headers. You've got to get the kids lunch. They need their Sandos. So, Logues is in the dugout at the stadium, the big stadium. Jano goes into Isla Vista, that little ghetto by the sea, our college town, and Sam's to go is still there. And she goes in there, and she's heard me talk about Merdad over the years. So she sees a guy who's probably Merdad's age. She's never met him. And Dodger Jano is like, can I get this sando with these toppings? And if you know anything about Dodger Jano, like, she's the most social person in the world. She talks to everybody, everybody, and everybody loves her. So she says, you know, I'm here for, I, don't, I, mean, I think they asked her, like, what are you doing here? Because it's a little bit unusual, right, to see somebody that age in a little college town. And she says, Dodger Jano, my son is at the Gaucho Baseball Prospect Camp. Oh, that's nice. And my husband went here. Oh, that's nice. What does he do? What do you do? What does he do? And Jano's like, I'm, you know, I stay at home and he works in broadcasting. And Mirdad says, Oh, that's interesting. What's his name? Jim Rome. Oh, you know, because I've been talking about Mirdad for decades on this show. <laughs> He's like, Why didn't you say so? Why didn't you say so? So, I mean, all the guys that I came up with that went to school at UCSB, we all know Mirdad. So, meanwhile, I hate to give up my guy. In his little sandwich shop, he proceeds to tell Dr. Jano he lives in an 11,000 square foot house. That's what you get if you sell 11 billion Sandos, I think, over the years, my man. And, and by the way, Santa Barbara real estate, crazy expensive. Crazy. Chalk's on the menu right now, and it looks amazing, he said. It is, dude. It is. So I, that, that was the update. If you want to see Logue's dropping down... Lokes is not a guy who's going to overpower you with crazy velo, but when he's on, he's got some pretty wicked movement. So that that was a thrill. I I didn't see it, but Dodger Jano was giving me updates throughout the day. Checks and his staff were giving Logs pointers. I'm I'm thrilled. I'm just so proud that he got to be on the bump at the stadium where I came up as a young broadcaster, and that's a great program. And there was a Merdad sighting. Dodger Jan will come together with the famous Merdad at Sam's to go. So if you're in the area, hit that sandwich shop. He is a legend. In the meantime, go to my Instagram feed. Check out Logues. I'm proud of Logues. Dropping down. He faced, let me think, six batters. He got five of the guys. Scrumptious. And then Chex came out and said, hey, one more. You did pretty well against the first five. 
Let me give you one more. I want you to face a lefty. Then give up a knock. So good day. Good day. And my thanks to Chex and the Gauchos for having Logs in. When we come back, I told you I'm talking Nate Diaz. I'm talking Nate Diaz when we come back. Just want to give you a little family update and direct you to the Instagram post. Let's go to Southeast Wisco. Always good to see this dude. Chris in Southeast Wisco. Chris, what's going on? Hey, Jim. How you doing, dude? Good, dude. How about you? I'm doing great, man. Hey, listen, man. I thought it was super ironic that the stay-at-home dad in Green Bay didn't have time to talk about the Packers game yesterday. About as ironic as that bag, assuming his take could last a whole segment. That take was so long, I almost finished watching The Godfather during his call. Jim, although Aaron Rodgers will go down as one of the greatest regular season quarterbacks of all time, not even he could rescue a team that is a seri- that has serious roster issues. Last year isn't this year. Stay at home and do nothing, guy. Jeremy sounded like his new job is day drinking. Bitter much, Jeremy? Green Bay has nobody to protect the ayahuasca-chugging QB. With that O-line and receiving cores, number 12 may need the ayahuasca IV at halftime. Packer fan guy thinks as long as they have Rodgers, you can just plug and play with rando receivers. Imagine Jeremy, Benny, and Caleb in the slot. That would be epic. But what sounds much better to me is Devontae Adams in the silver and black doing what he always does, Jim, dominate. War Alvin phasing out the heavy metal and giving Hove some play. God did. Clones, you either win with me or you watch me win. All right. Alvin, what are you going to do about that? Chuck in Phoenix. What's going on, Chuck? How are you? Hey, Jim. Uh, second time, long time. It's a pleasure to uh, speak to you. Um, I'm on day eight of COVID, so I'm home. I got nothing better to do than to rewatch that game yesterday. That was the direct kick to the stick. Now, there's no shame in losing to KC. Mahomes is a generational quarterback, but we didn't make him make plays. Dudes were wide open all day, every day. It's like Tracy Morgan said, man, lay some pads on somebody. Get angry. And I'm just disappointed. It's overreaction money for a reason. I expect more out of Arizona. Um, that's all I got, man. Good to talk to you. Yeah, I feel better, dude. Jeremy in Green Bay. Jeremy, what's going on? How are you? Yo, what's up, Jimmy? Hey, great opening, but I thought I might offer you a more clone-centric NFL recap if I could. Please do. Because, Jim, that Sunday night game was unwatchable. Not because classless cowboy fan booed and threw trash at Dak. That part was predictable. No, it was unwatchable because Chris Collinsworth sounded like beaks after waking up in a pool of his own vomit. And, Jim, I thought the Bills Mafia was the biggest a-hole fan base in sports, but Raider Nation is making their claim for the top spot once again. You know what I'm saying, Jimmy. You find out someone is a Raiders fan, you can basically group them into one of two categories. A, they're a loser, and B, they're a freaking loser. And the only Raider highlights I enjoy seeing, Jim, are the post-game ones. Did you catch all those videos yesterday of Raider fans? Convicts running around SoFi like some sort of prison riot and throwing hands. Every time I saw a video of some convict knocking out a Charger fan, I was disappointed it wasn't Silk. I don't think Stan Kroenke spent $5 billion to build the world's most expensive MMA arena, but L.A. gonna L.A. Am I wrong, Jim? Am I wrong? Jimmy, I have so much NFL content, 
you could probably start a fourth podcast. How about an all Wisco one with you, me, and Caleb? We'll call it Two Pimps and a Simp. Actually, let's just ditch no Humpty Dumpty, and I'll just call more often during the season with this heat. I mean, who else is going to do it? Your guy Brad and Corona thinks football is something you talk your wife into doing with her feet. Jim, Bubby, I'm your white knight. Lastly, Jim, I'd like to end on a sober moment if I could. You see, I had no idea the queen passed away last week, but I've seen the clones tweeting about her. So let me give a big heartfelt RIP to Bella, because that's just the type of guy I am. The ATP will never be the same, Jim, because we'll actually be listenable now. And as Elton John once sang, and it seems to me, Bella lived her life like a fart in the wind. And we wish we never knew her. She was never a real clone. Ah. That's not a good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. The thing is, I liked a lot of that call. Good night, night.